You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So it is Advent Sunday. It is Advent joy. Joy. Joy is not happiness. It is not fleeting optimism. It is a settled state of contentment, of satisfaction, really. More more satisfaction than contentment. That leads to contentment, but it is a sense of settled satisfaction in the goodness of God. All right, so we're going to look at Psalm 16, and then we're going to talk through the text, but we're going to do so in light of the story of Zephaniah, one of the minor prophets. So Psalm 16, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I will let the Lord, I will always, I always let the Lord guide me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to shale. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me, and your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. The prophet Zephaniah would have known Psalm 16. He would have learned it as a child, as a prayer, as a song. Zephaniah is one of the Hebrew prophets, and he would have known what the psalm means in verse 11 when it says, You reveal the path of life to me in your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. He knew the path of life and joy that comes from God's presence. Now, Zephaniah is not your typical prophet. Like the prophet's gone before, he is a poet, but he's more than that. He is a social critic, but he is more than that. He is a statesman and patriot, but he is more than that. Zephaniah is the descendant of King Hezekiah. Royal blood flows through Zephaniah's veins. He's well acquainted with the ins and outs of politics and matters of the state, like the law of Moses and he has access to the royal courts. Zephaniah lived in the final decades of the southern kingdom of Judah when King Josiah tried to bring real change into the land. Now, until Zephaniah, there hasn't been a prophetic word uh, to Judah since the poet prophets Isaiah and Micah 50, 60 years ago. He knows, he knows how Judah has lost her way, and he saw it coming. He spent years warning them. Judas pridefully given themselves over to all sorts of injustices, creating systems that oppress the poor and the widow. They've gone so far as to tolerate child sacrifices and mix their worship of God with the worship of false gods. They have persecuted every prophet that came to warn them. Some were even executed as enemies of the state. Now, Zephaniah has witnessed the fallout of King Josiah's father and grandfather's reign, and he denounces Judah as a rebellious and polluted city. If you read Zephaniah 2, Judah's self-absorption has led to a false sense of self-sufficiency, resulting in self-indulgence. Individual rights have been replaced 
uh, have replaced communal responsibility. Love of self has become more important than love of neighbor. Judah is trying to build a life and a society without God's reign. They still claim to be one nation under God, but they honor God with their mouths, but the hearts are far from Him. Worship is turned away from a life of service to lip service. No one seeks justice or walks humbly with God. Under King Josiah, Judah is becoming stable. Internationally, the Assyrian Empire, which has dominated the world for 100 years, is teetering on disaster. Their rulers have become fickle and unpredictable. So the question on the mind of every worshiper is, will King Josiah position Judah to become the world leader? But Zephaniah, with his royal blood and knowledge of government matters, isn't interested in policy. Prophets don't do policy, they do poetry, and he has a word from the Lord. His prophetic vision is one of judgment against Judah and its capital city, Jerusalem. He calls it the Day of the Lord which refers to a moment of God's judgment that's coming and will sweep away everything and everyone responsible for this sorry state of affairs. So Zephaniah writes his own poetic song in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. He says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and rapidly approaching. Listen, the day of the Lord. Then the warrior's cry is bitter. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the high corner towers. I will bring distress on mankind and they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. He was kind of a foul-mouthed prophet. Their silver and their gold, verse 18, will not be able to rescue them on the day of the Lord's wrath. The whole earth will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete, yes, a horrifying end of all the inhabitants of the earth. Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18. This is a disturbing word that doesn't get a lot of retweets. But he had to tell them the truth because he loves his people. And the truth of the matter is that God's passionate and jealous love for his people will not allow him to step aside and watch them continue to destroy themselves. With a furious love, God seeks to transform them into a worshiping and justice-seeking community marked by holiness, compassion, and righteousness, as Deuteronomy teaches. God summons them to turn back to him. There is a call to repentance. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Gather yourselves together. Gather together, undesirable nation, before the decree takes effect and the day passes like shaft before the burning of the Lord's anger overtakes you, before the day of the Lord's anger overtakes you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who carry out what he commands. Seek justice. Seek humility. Perhaps you'll be concealed or protected on the day of the Lord's anger. See, Zephaniah has a word for the faithful ones living in the midst of the sin and idolatry. He's calling for them to step up and step out from the shadows of injustice and idolatry and lead the way to the repentance and restoration of God's people. If they do, Zephaniah has a word for them, a promise directly from the heart of God. Once God's judgment has come, 
the righteous ones will still stand, and he will restore their society and fill it with joy and celebration. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14, verse 17. Sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He's turned away your enemy. The king of Israel, Yahweh, is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day, it'll be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. Yahweh, your God, is among you, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will hold his peace in his love. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. See, what we learn is, that according to 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, King Josiah was a wise and godly king. He boldly purged idolatry from Judah. He ordered that the temple be renovated so that true worship could be restored and led to a rediscovery of the scriptures. A season of renewal and joy was experienced by God's people until his death in the field of battle. So it happened. But scholars believe this text, Zephaniah 3, 14-17 that we just read, is also a picture of the age that is to come in the Christ, what we understand as the Advent. Listen again. And this time, see with the eyes of faith the picture the poet-prophet imaginatively sets before us as a people who sit on this side of the Advent. Sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The king of Israel, Yahweh, is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. Yahweh, your God, is among you. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will hold his peace in his love. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Picture Zephaniah paints for us is beautiful. I mean, you can see there in the streets of Judah the faithful ones of God throwing a party, shouting out in words of joy to one another, dancing and laughing over the fact that the God who created the heavens and earth knows them, loves them, reigns over them in love. And there in the midst of a celebrating people is God rejoicing and dancing over them. God dances and I bet he has some moves. God is like a father holding a homecoming party for the son who is lost but is found. Sound familiar? God is like a shepherd joyously calling out to neighbors that the sheep that is lost has been rescued. Sound familiar? He's like a widow who sends out party invitations to her friends and neighbors to come and celebrate that the very precious silver coin she lost has been recovered. Do you get it? Zephaniah wants us to see that this celebration, this street party, is a celebration of joyous love where God and God's people dance and sing together. And as we read this text through the lens of Advent, which is how we should read these prophets, we discover the wonder of Advent joy. So when we read these prophets and we see it within their context, it opens us up to the reality of God's very real social presence in the world. And so we see it within its original historical context. But then... We read it again and we read it through the lens of Christ and we see the promises God makes. We see another fulfillment 
to this story. And so for us, these promises Zephaniah makes are coming true in the gospel of Christ. If we would but slow down and see. The good news for us is that the king of Israel is the Lord of the church. The church is God's restored Israel and the people of Zion. It's verse 14. The Lord is present in our midst by the Spirit as we gather around this table. That's verse 15 and 17. God's judgments have been removed. That's verse 15. God has held his peace and proven his love in the outstretched arms and nail-printed hands of Jesus. That is verse 4, 17. Who is our mighty Savior, 17. The enemy and all his schemes and the reign of sin and death has been defeated and cast out and we have nothing left to fear in life. That's verse 15. A life lived in the loving reign of God has become our freedom because he rejoices over us in his love. That's verse 17. We have been delivered from the reign of sin and death and all its fear and into the loving reign of grace because Christ our Lord has come and is coming again. And this is our joy. The heart of God has been revealed in the advent of the Christ child. He yearns to share his life with you and me. He learns to enjoy us forever. The king of the universe is the king of joy and love, and he wants us more than we want him. It's his love and joy that has the power to transform us into the people who fully trust his rule a people who can celebrate his reign. God finds satisfaction and joy in his love for us. He wants us to know the deep pleasure of what it means to be satisfied by his presence and his rejoicing over us as his beloved so that we can know his joy. He wants us to become a people of joy. Beloved, let's not allow the events of our world or nation to get us confused about the source of our joy or what joy is. The third Sunday of Advent invites us to remember that joy is not some feeling of fleeting optimism, optimism but, it, but, but it's, a, it's a state of mind, an orientation of the heart. Joy is a satisfied state of mind that takes pleasure in the reality of the loving reign of King Jesus over our lives. And has the power to turn our hearts away from fear into the one who says, Do not fear, for I am with you, rejoicing over you with singing. Joy, as we said earlier, is a settled state of contentment. It's a confidence and hope. And not in ourselves. Not in our nation. But in the faithful love of God who reigns with compassion and grace. It is the settled assurance and quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right because God's kingdom, of which I am its citizen, will never falter or fail because Jesus is Lord. So joy, more than some feeling of fleeting optimism, arises from the ashes of a world prone to anxiety, a world prone to disappointment and fear, and has the power to strengthen our feet to walk by faith, trusting in the power and promised presence of Christ in our midst by the Spirit. See, Advent tells us that Christ has come, and the earth has been filled with the knowledge of God's glory. We all know it, but do we believe it? I mean, we sing songs about it. We light candles because of it. 
we must remember that in the Christ child, God began his great reversal of all things, a new ordering of things because his kingdom has come. It is a great reversal because what we think should work no longer works, at least not in light of the Lordship of Jesus. We no longer find our lives by gaining, but by giving. The first will no longer remain first because the last and least will take first place. No longer can you or I choose who's in and who's out because at God's table all are welcome. See, that's the reversal. There's a new way of being in society and a new way of doing must follow. And if we're to see our lives flourish in the joy of Advent, we cannot sit around like spectators in a theater enjoying friendly Christmas pageants. This Christ child who is Lord of all tells us that we must join in the action that is taking place, the dancing and the rejoicing, and be drawn in as participants in this great reversal of all things, even in the midst of suffering and lament. As a community empowered by God's Spirit, we choose to live like the great reversal is true. So we no longer concern ourselves with finding a life by gaining, but by giving we now start acting as if we believe that the first will be last and the last and least will be first. We no longer strive and strain to try to choose who's in and who's out because we remember that all are welcome at God's table. And we live like it. And I think when we do, even in all of its complexity and challenge, we will be able to dance in the joy of the Lord, because we have, by the power of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. By the power of the Spirit, the joy of the Lord will be our strength. And we can say with the psalmist of Psalm 16, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me in your presence is abundant joy at your right hand are eternal pleasures. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 